0: This episode of Drama School Dropout is brought to you by Flatmates. Flatmates is a brand new player by me. Ingram Noble and it's on at the Glasgow Acting Academy from the 2nd of February till the 4th of February 2024 Flatmates is a hilarious and intriguing comedy that follows the lives of five eclectic roommates Debbie the history student Sheridan the drama school star Mitch the sociologist and only fan sensation Tom the lovable but dim-witted PE student and Brad Follow them through a wine fueled game of Monopoly when chaos ensues after Tom stumbles upon an invitation for two to the King's coronation With tickets in hand tensions rise and the only question is who will seize the chance of a lifetime you can get your tickets for flatmates either by clicking the link in the bio or going to www.ticketsource.co.uk forward slash flatmates all of this and more coming up on Drama School Dropout.
1: I found something in that room, in that rehearsal room, on that stage with those people that either I was lacking or I was missing or that I was needing and it makes me love being who I am. I mean, there were the usual things. There was like, I did spend an afternoon being the colour blue. Imelda Staunton is naughty. Well, my acting training, I think, has stood hand in hand with my kind of education as a human being. Oh, Jesus. i Chekhov for 11 weeks. I'd kill myself. It's time for you to be a colour. In my audition, I had to be a sparkler. Welcome
0: back to another episode of Drama School Dropout, the UK's third best drama podcast. As per usual, my name is Ingram Noble, and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. And this week, it's episode 171, and I am joined by an absolutely amazing actor who happens to be one of our brightest stars of stage and screen. Please welcome to the podcast, Tony Jayawadna. Drama School Dropout. No graduation day for you, drama school dropout. Taught your whole course.
1: Now try something new, drama school
0: dropout. Welcome to the podcast. How are we? Excellent. Thank
1: you for having me. Genuinely, it's to
0: all here. my pleasure, genuinely.
1: Lovely.
0: Well, my pleasure entirely.
1: You know, I, I, I take a bit of pleasure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim a bit of pleasure. You can
0: have, have some. Thank you very much. You can Thank have you. I, I am normally greedy, but I will share today. Bless you. Bless I you. That's very kind of
1: you. It is the season for giving, it, it is.
0: It is, apparently. And it's not even
1: December yet, and yet it's already the season, mm-hmm. because the season comes earlier and earlier every sodding year.
0: I'm not going to lie, right? I like My tree doesn't go up until the 10th of December, um, and I don't really like actively participate in Christmas stuff until the time is appropriate. But I do play Christmas music in October.
1: Very nice. Very nice. See, I've got like, it's a weird one. My, um, you know, um, Christmas traditions were kind of, I would say, quite slim on the ground other than Christmas Mm. Day. Um, And I grew up with my mother and father moved here from Sri Lanka when they were, you know, very young a young married couple in 1970. So we didn't grow up with a lot of family around either. So we yeah. did have that advantage, which often makes Christmas. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's quite big families or having lots of kids running around and stuff like that. So I've kind of adopted other people's either Christmas or non-Christmas traditions, um, mm-hmm. which I quite enjoy because other people feel quite strongly about Christmas. I'm not sure I feel massively strongly anti or your pro I yeah if we can make it just a nice time with whoever you're with yeah. then great let's do that let's just have a really really lovely time and let's try as much as possible to keep all the stress out of it because it can be a bit stressful can't it
0: i'm not gonna lie it stresses me out from like the moment november the first hits i'm just like can't wait till sure. boxing day sure can't sure. wait till boxing Day. well actually no that's a lie can't wait till christmas dinner
1: right Well, it used to be also, I mean, like, from the the vast majority of my, well, I say the vast majority, maybe now, not so much, but for a lot of my acting career, Christmas Day was just a day off. Yeah. uh, Because I've been done, you know, a few pantos and a few Christmas shows in my life, which meant that Christmas Day was just a day off. So it was just about recovering, go back and be, you know, dressed as a massive giant badger or a giant pussycat or something um, on on Boxing Day. Yeah. uh, you know, sing and dance and all that malarkey. So, yeah, actually, yeah, that's another part of why I guess Christmas actually isn't like a big, big thing for me and my family. I've never thought about it like that,
0: but I will say the highlight of my Christmas is Christmas dinner.
1: There you go. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be, and also, but that also leads to a bunch of pressure on whoever's cooking, right? Because everyone feels quite, that, that Christmas dinner should be good. If Christmas dinner sucks, that is... A bad thing. I mean, other meals if they suck, yeah. it's fine. you know, if you if you screw up a dinner or something, if I bought it for a pizza, who cares? But if you mess up Christmas dinner, well a, you know, that's a lot of people going sad. I'm I'm a
0: self-confessed picky eater, right? I don't know I don't know how we've got on to Christmas dinner. I don't <laughs> I, I'm not fancy in the terms. I don't like pigs and blankets. <gasps> right? they're, they're just not for me, right? Which I don't know why, because I love sausages and I love bacon, but put them together and I'm just not Wow. A fan of it, right? I I could eat a a mountain of those. Our Christmas dinner is just a glorified Sunday roast. Lovely. So it's quite hard to fuck up. Sure. The only thing that anyone could fuck up, and it would ruin my day, so I tend to overeat things to the point where I can't stand them anymore. So if I find something I like, I will eat them every day until I hate them. Wow. But there is one thing that I love that I refuse to do that with. And I only have oh. them twice a year. I have them once on my birthday and once on Christmas. And it's profiteroles. And if anyone what? fucks my profiteroles up, I'll kill someone. Oh, and you only have them twice a year. Twice a year, because I don't want to sicken myself. That's very disciplined of you. But I'm eating, like, several other bars of chocolate every other day of the year. Well,
1: sure, but still, if it's something that you love that much and you manage to keep that twice a year, I say bravo. That's That's... That takes some serious it's discipline. It's the one
0: piece of discipline I have in my life. No, I just don't but want to sicken to myself.
1: It. Cling to it. One piece of discipline. It's great. I have very little self-discipline. <laughs> self-discipline. So when I find one, it's joyous. Yeah. It's brilliant. I celebrate it. Girl. Well done, you. Fantastic. No,
0: I just, I, I love them. And I know what I'm like. I've done it with so many things that I eat it so much that you just can't bear to look at it anymore. So sure. I refuse to do that with profiteroles. Well done. Very wrong, refusal, huh? but moving on from Christmas dinner. I hope sure. everybody has a lovely Christmas dinner this year. Yes, or just, if you don't celebrate Christmas, have a lovely yeah. dinner, have a lovely Eat. time off,
1: have a lovely Chinese um, uh, takeaway or something.
0: Mm. One of my friends did that one. Yeah, they were just like fuck Christmas dinner. Right, we're just gonna have a Chinese. Sure, and, and I was what? like, more power to you. I love a prawn Hello. cracker. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um but but how's life been? Because it's been a mad couple of years. We've gone through so much politically, economically, we've had a pandemic, all yeah. that shite. But how's life? Life in
1: general is pretty good. The pandemic was hard um for me personally, just because I think it woke me up, not woke me up to, but reminded me just how much I love what I do. Yeah. Um, especially theatre. You know, I'm a child of the theatre, most of my credits are on stage and it's not even the performance aspect it's just being in that room with those people I missed those people I missed my fellow actors I missed stage management I missed my directors everyone I missed the team I missed the ensemble Mm -hmm. I missed working as part of a group I, I found it very hard um to be away from the people I loved and um away from that side of myself because it's not just you know it's not it's not just a job. There are many aspects of it which are just job-like because they become just job-like. They have to, they're part of business. But there's, there's reason why I got into it is the reason why a lot of people got into it. And it's still there. I'm 45 and I've been in the business now just coming up to 20 years. And it's still there. The reason why is because I found something in that room, in that Mm -hmm. rehearsal room, on that stage with those people that either I was lacking or I was missing or that I was needing. And it makes me love being who I am. and so to not have that was was very, very hard. post pandemic I am I'm one of I'm very, very lucky. I was supported all the way through pandemic by my father was very good. I had friends who were very good. Um, and so but post pandemic, I kind of picked up where I left off, which is I'm a very, very lucky man who's very rarely been out of work. So that's a very fortunate thing. I think
0: there's a little bit more than luck involved.
1: Well, there is is there there is more than luck involved, but luck is also a big part of it. And I don't think anyone should deny how much luck plays a part in, in, in any kind of artistic career because it's not a meritocracy. It's not the better you are, the better you do. Yeah. And, but what was but,
0: that quote somebody said not long ago? Luck is when um, hard work and preparation meets correct opportunity. timing. Opportunity or something, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah.
1: yeah and absolutely. And I think... I think that is right but also you know there are there are just aspects of where you know life is 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 not fair it's crap it can be really, really bad we've all seen that right um over especially over the last few years we've seen how unfair life can be and um acting can be like that too you can do all the right things you can be as prepared as anything and i know you know i've got some of some I know personally lots of people who i think are phenomenal actors who have had nowhere near the career they should have done. And I know people who, in my opinion, don't put in the work or, or yeah. aren't that good and have had abundance uh, in, in their careers. So I kind of, I do, I do also, also it's just, it's my way of keeping myself grounded. It's my way of keeping myself kind of on the ground to make sure that I don't ever... Oh, we
0: don't do that here. You'll have a helium head by the end floating towards the clouds.
1: Fantastic. But the other thing um, that for me massively after the pandemic was a massive tick in for me was um I, I met my um my new partner, my girlfriend. Harriet, I met her just after the pandemic. We met on Hinge internet dating. Oh my god, it suddenly it worked for me once and it worked for me brilliantly. I can um, do that shit. I know I, I genuinely would would usually despair of it. But um I met this wonderful lady and uh we live together now and we have a cat and a sofa and it's joyous. So I'm I'm very blessed. Very blessed. <laughs> um, a question that I love to ask everybody that comes
0: on the podcast sure. is how did you get into acting and what was your very first role? And it doesn't have to be a professional one. We love speaking of Christmas time, we love a good nativity story.
1: Sure, sure. Um, so I think my first ever actual role that I can remember was playing a poisonous puppy in the Wizard of Oz at primary school. Love that. I remember doing a little, I'd had no lines, I did a little poppy dance, which was was gorgeous. I don't remember feeling anything about, I don't remember anything about performing. I don't remember anything like that. The first time I remember performing was, again, at drama school. It was a few years later. We had a new music teacher who came in when I was about eight or nine, and she decided she wanted to, we'd stopped doing musicals for a while, and she wanted to do a musical again, and we had... It was a tiny primary school. There were 100 pupils in the whole school.
0: Oh, wow, that is small.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, like, North London, Cockfosters, which is where I grew up, was a little primary school behind a church. My music teacher, I think her name was Mrs Morgan, it's a long time ago now, almost 40 years now, my goodness. Um, But I was doing elocution lessons. My parents gave me, uh, took me for elocution lessons. And I thought I had there was the part of the narrator Mm -hmm. in these um, in in the show and everyone was talking about it. And I thought I'd go up for the narrator. But what I didn't know was Miss Morgan was making everyone, all the pupils pretty much in the entire school, sing a little bit to see whether they could sing. And she got me to sing. And I don't quite know how, but she made me understudy to the lead. So it was the musical was called The Happy Prince. It's a musical based on a short story by Oscar Wilde. So I was the Happy Prince and I got one show. There were three shows and the lead uh, girl, as it was, who's made Happy Prince, got two shows. And I think I got one show. And that was my first performance that I can really remember. And it was definitely something that sparked something in me. I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I especially loved singing. And I had never really sung before, but it all grew from there being you know, dressed completely in gold, spray painted gold on my face on gold makeup and little gold gloves and stuff like that. And being the, the happy prince. I don't remember any of the songs or anything like that. I just remember that I definitely thought this is where I want to be. And that combined with, you see, my parents, bless them, didn't realize they were stoking this fire at all. But when I was young boy, my brother and I, the one older brother, we had like three, we had a Betamax video player. That's how old I am. So it was VHS and Betamax was the one that didn't work, didn't compete as well. Yeah. Two formats. And we had Betamax video cassettes. and We had three that we had that I remember were our favorites. We watched over and over again. One was ET, one was Camelot, the musical, and one was Fiddler on the Roof. So, Fiddler on the Roof is my favourite of all time. Quite a, a wide range of things. It is quite wide ranging, but two of them are musical theatre. Yeah. So, I think my parents, unfortunately for them, because they really would have preferred a doctor, <laughs> um, stoked the fires of, and they took us to they took us to see shows in the West End as well. Again, another huge formative moment for me, and I've told my friends this loads of time, was I remember going to the West End and watching Aspects of Love when I was very young and watching Michael Ball seeing Love Changes Everything and it absolutely blowing me away. Mm. I just, it was the, one of the most magnificent things I've ever seen in my life.
0: Mm. But talking about your parents expecting a doctor, I will sure. never forget the look of my parents when I was like, I don't think I want to be a lawyer. Sure. Sure. I think I'm going to go and prance around on stage for a couple of years at drama school.
1: Sure. I um, I didn't really... I wasn't as... Uh, I don't think I was as brave as that. I, I basically tried to do it secretly, I guess. Mm. First of all, I didn't realise I could become an actor Yeah. until I was about 16. Even mm. though I'd done loads of musicals and done loads of plays at school, it was all school stuff, for some reason it didn't twig in my head that everyone I was watching on TV was a professional actor doing it as a career. Um, you know, my job options, there's a lot of, I think, immigrant families, kids' options were the same, and other kids' families was, you know, doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, dentist. Those are the big five. Those are the big Asian five. Uh, you become one of those five, and that's it. Um, so I didn't, it wasn't that they told me I couldn't be an actor, it was that it wasn't an option. It just wasn't like yeah. a day. Then a friend of mine, when I went back for sixth form um at school, said he was going to do a drama degree somewhere. And I said, What what the hell are you talking about? What do you mean a, a degree in drama? What do you talk? What do you mean? You're insane. Uh and then he went, No, you can do it for a living. And after I heard that, I don't think my parents really had a chance. Um and bless them, they could have reacted a lot worse than they did. They weren't happy. Um, but they didn't kick me out of the house or anything like that, you know, and my my mum especially supported me. I did have to go to university first, but I failed um, uh, in a, an attempt to do a chemistry degree at, at UCL because I was doing every play under the sun at UCL and every musical and took shows to Edinburgh and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And then I went to drama school and, you know, um, my mum supported me especially, massively. And, you know, my dad has slowly come around and they, you know, my mum passed away a few years ago but you know they all they came to watch everything i do and mm. still do like this stuff so i'm grateful I'm very grateful
0: yeah i think what happened for me and i don't think i've ever spoken about this publicly mm-hmm. um i loved it throughout school i was in all the plays i was in all the musicals even though i'm tone deaf can't sing <laughs> um i was in all of it and i think i always wanted to do it but There was just that, again, like, I grew up in the northeast of England, like, very work... I grew up in a mining village, like, and there was such a, like, an expectation to get your five GCSEs, go to uni, and break the cycle of being working class, Right. and then two weeks before I got my GCSE results, one of my best friends died, and I was like, nah, fuck this, I'm just going to do whatever the fuck I want now. Wow and i never looked back and i did well in my GCSEs and i remember somebody being like um like we've got the envelopes in our hand and they went oh d- what do you want and i was like don't care
1: right
0: i'm here to pick them up my friend yeah. isn't yeah like and i don't i don't know ever since then i've just kind of been like i'm just going to do what i want recently i had a bit of a mental breakdown last night not going to lie and um, that cuz it's really hard to break into the industry yeah, it is. And I was just sat there genuinely crying at three o'clock in the morning going, I am wasting my life following a dream that is so hard to fucking follow.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So don't get me wrong. It's not all, the, as you know, I'm more talking to the listeners. It's yeah. not all sunshines and rainbows. It's not. It's absolutely not. How long have you been out of travel school, by the way, darling? Uh Oh, God, maths, maths. So I dropped out in 2020. Yeah, Um, just before the pandemic, and then I went back the following year. So it would have been twenty twenty one into twenty. So only like a year. Yeah, like last May, I think I
1: graduated. The year, like the first year out, was the hardest Mm -hmm. for me. Um, I I went. You know, I I was really lucky. uh, I think again, you know, I went to Guildhall. I got a place at Guildhall and went to Guildhall. Um, and you know, I didn't know anything really about drama schools, as in like the reputations which were good which were bad whatever you know and all i was doing was what a lot of people do which is following your gut feeling of i love being on stage i want this to continue yeah you know uh, what and i went through drama school and i remember lots of teachers saying to me tony look you, you you'll work you know everyone they, people need uh security guards and uh uh, news agents um, uh, you know there are lots of parts for those things but you wait till you get to your 40s and your 50s and things all you'll grow into something special which is amazing because this is actually how it's slightly turning out but I had a I had a wonderful teacher I had two one well, lots of wonderful teachers I had a teacher called Wendy Allner all, who I loved dearly 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 um, and still do and she had a husband called Colin McCormack, who was an actor as well. He's mm. done things like Yes Minister. And he's in the movie First Night with Richard Gere and stuff like that. And he's a and he's an but he worked with the RSC and all these places. And he was when his husband, but in the our third year, we got mentors. So there were people in the business who would yeah. come and maybe meet us, you know, each relationship was individual. And Colin came and saw every play I did. And said, "Look, here's my number. Call me anytime. Let's meet up once in a while and have a beer." And during that first year, especially, I, whenever I was upset, I'd call him <laughs> and we go and we go and have a drink. Yeah. And uh, and and he'd and he'd help me hang in there, mm. um, which was invaluable. Because yeah, hundred percent. It's very easy. Uh, I think anyone who's studied um, acting. Knows about the voice, the the what we call at guilt or we call the little fucker, other people call it the third eye, there's many, many names for it. But that voice can gain a lot of volume and strength in that first year out, or when tough times come about, and it will continue for the rest of your life because mm. that is being a human being, not just yeah. being an artist. Um but dealing with that little bastard um it, it can often can often take more than yourself. And it's no shame in that either. You know, there are times when the world feels too big. There are times when we all feel too weak, when we all feel like we can't face it, just your regular day. Um, and that doesn't matter who you are, how much money you've got in the bank account or whatever. That doesn't matter. A human being mm. will face their own demons um, and more than one point in their life. And I was lucky, again, to have people like Colin... Um, uh, and others uh, to, who understood the business, yeah. understood um, what it was like um, to be there to go. Hey, um, regardless of what the business brings or tomorrow brings, I'm here for you. I love you, and you're amazing. So you know, keep going. Um, and I'd say the same thing to you. It's like, yeah, it's it's, it's the there is no guarantee in this business at all. No. But regardless of what happens within it and you within it, you have the capability to be okay and to be brilliant and wonderful. And you are brilliant and wonderful just as you are. You have everything you need within you. Mm. And but, but this business will test you. Um, but reach out to the things that you love. Reach out to the people you love. Be good to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Yeah. Don't ever let it turn inwards um, because it is the world and not you. Mm-hmm. No, a hundred
0: percent. And the thing that I always say, and like I, I want to shout at people that didn't tell me about this. In in drama school, you you're all like, it's not gonna happen straight away. You're gonna get rejected, like you're gonna hear no more than you're gonna hear yes. The thing that and I was prepared for that, I was fully ready, like I've got a thick skin that I can be told I'm shite, like that doesn't affect me. The yeah. thing that I wasn't prepared for was the nothingness. Yes, when yes. you spend days emailing casting directors and agents, and you spend you like literally, you're pouring your heart and soul out to these people, being like, yeah. "Pick me, pick me," yeah. and then you just don't get a single. You get an out of office reply, but yeah. then you hear nothing. I yeah. wasn't prepared for that.
1: That's horrible, isn't it? Absolutely, and and I don't think anything. Again, I have a bit of a problem with people coming into drama schools and telling the students it's going to be anyway, whichever way they say it's going to Mm. be, because I think it's different for every single person. There are generalisations, which you could make, sure, but no one actor's path is the same, whether they're in work or out of work or a mixture Mm. of the two. It's never the same. It's always different. But the other thing is, I would say that nothingness, I don't think anyone can prepare you for it. I think it's only going through it. You can't even... When you describe it to people, it's the same as being in work, actually, as an Mm. actor. When you describe it to people, no one who is not an actor will understand you completely. Only Mm. the actors will understand you when you're talking about... Because that particular nothingness is not the same as being unemployed from another job. Like you say, you're writing emails about your professional ability, which is you. Which is you, your soul, and your emotions, and your talent, and you—that is what you're giving. So it's it's utterly unique in that yeah. way. Actually, it's only for me. It's only other people in the business who really understand how deep that feeling goes. Um, and I, honestly, I don't I don't think there's anything anyone could do to prep me for that. It was still a massive shock when mm-hmm. I experienced it. For that the first and longest time um you kind of have to it's some things some things you can be told but you have to live them to really know them
0: you know see I just think I was a bit naive and I thought everyone was going to reply to me whether it be uh yes come and join us or no you're not for me right now I've got As someone do
1: not hearing anything
0: yeah and and I'm sitting here going is my email broke sending test emails from like my other accounts I think I was maybe just a little bit naive in thinking that Oh, if I send fifty emails out, all fifty, regardless if it's a yes or no, yeah. are gonna get back to me. Right. Because but I think I was so prepared for rejection. Yeah. That I hadn't in, like even thought about the possibility of just being ignored.
1: Yeah. Well, in that way, it is very similar to internet dating. Very similar <laughs> indeed. You know, lots <laughs> of comparisons. Lots of comparisons to internet dating there. You know, send out hundred emails and or 100 messages, and absolutely no one answers back. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. But it's, then one day you find the one, and one you, day, buy, lovely, you buy you a sofa
1: with them. A lovely, crazy crazy girl decides that she's going to take a chance on some strange man she's seen on on the profile, <laughs> and we meet outside the Globe and take a walk down the south of the bank, and two, two and a half years later, we've got a cat on a sofa. What if that's
0: not a love story, I don't know there what is.
1: Go. So, you know, it can happen to anyone. It can happen to me, it can happen to anyone, honestly.
0: No, I just I I always just say I wish somebody would have just gave me a heads up and gone sure, sure. by the way, there's a third option of sure. just nothing. Because yeah. like you're so like, yes, no, yes, no. Yeah. Nobody ever was like, by the way.
1: Yeah. They're absolutely.
0: probably just not gonna reply to your email.
1: Yeah. But I also think there's a weird there's a weird similarity with acting in itself. People often want definitives from like Acting, teaching, or acting lessons. Yeah, and often the time there, there are no definitives. There is this weird state of uncertainty, and I always talk about slightly like the first feeling of like, like I remember drama school where I felt like something was happening, where it felt like almost like falling off a cliff, and it's that uncertainty that really like you're on the edge and you're imbalanced, and it's not a nice place to be. But I all I talk about kind of making that place my home. Trying to make that place of uncertainty
0: my base of operations.
1: Yeah. Now that I know it's there, yeah.
0: I'm living there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But right. that first sort of like, yeah. oh, it's horrible. What's it's happening? Horrible. And it yeah. was, it was, it was, it was grim. And I was just sort of like, why doesn't anyone like me? I'm quite <laughs> good. Oh, darling, I know, I know. It's um, but you mentioned Guildhall there. And genuinely, one of my favourite things to talk about when it comes to drama school are the funny and crazy drama school stories because shit goes down behind those doors that people wouldn't believe. Do you have a favourite funny or crazy story you can share with us?
1: I absolutely do. I might not say some names. Oh, you you feel free
0: to omit them.
1: I mean, there were the usual things. There was like, I did spend an afternoon being the colour blue, for example. And there is oddly i did actually take some lessons from that but there's no way i'm going to spend an afternoon being the color blue again no so you know i kind of look on it as a delightful chance to do stuff that you're never going to get to do in, in the rest of your life but there was one um, particular project we always i always laugh about this and i'm still friends with a lot of my year mates it was really nice actually um we were doing greeks at the end of um the second year and we were doing trojan women uh, and our uh, director who was also one of our teachers is very passionate one of the, the ones who's very very passionate about the work takes it extremely seriously you know we had other teachers that were a bit more circumspect and a bit lighter yeah. got a nice balance and she was great because you know you also need that passion you know mm. um, but we were doing a status exercise where one of our member was playing Agamemnon mm-hmm. and the rest of us had to be in his court giving him status right so he's walking through you never look him in the eye you look down at the floor if he asks you to do something you just do it and delightful um uh, a company member was playing was playing agamemnon and and he was wandering from striding through yeah there's a very tall chap striding through and he turned around and looked at one of my colleagues and said sing me a song and uh my colleague totally just just froze just like just went what, what what sing me a song and uh he went what what, what do you mean and, and then our teacher went no you don't ask what you just do you just do give him six you just do and he said again sing me a song and my poor friend is like thinking thinking on his feet and he said uh, uh, uh what kind of song and he went a love song a love song and again, you can see him, just his eyes. He's in pure panic. And he doesn't know what he could possibly see. And he suddenly, and suddenly comes out with, because I had the time of my life. And I tell you what, we all started absolutely wetting ourselves. And our teacher was going, no, it's not funny. It's not funny. And yeah, that was, that had to be, I think, one of the funniest moments all. <laughs> you know, That's great. It was, it was great.
0: It was fab. Loved it. I, I love when people do things like that. Like we're gonna play a game later on that involves similar stories. And okay. somebody sent one in once, and they were like, "We're on stage." At our... I'm not saying it verbatim. Um, <laughs> they were like, "Well, we're on stage at the end of our year show, and there's only me, my boyfriend, and my best friend on stage, and we've got a breakup scene." And I'm looking at my. It was either our boyfriend or our best friend, and she was like. And we just didn't have the lines. Like oh, yeah. they'd just gone. And either a boyfriend or a best friend who was behind them had a guitar as part of a prop. Yeah. And he just sensed the silence and just started um like strumming the guitar and oh. started singing girls just want to have fun.
1: Oh, brilliant.
0: And that those things I'm just like this is wow. the
1: only profession that this shit could happen in. That is genius. That is genius. Mm. That's so fantastic. I remember yeah hearing a story about Michael Gambon famously, didn't he improvise in iambic pentameter about sausages or something? Um I mean like you know,
0: yeah. That Which, positive. how can you how can you improv in iambic pentameter?
1: Yeah, that's a I I mean like personally, I I know I would not ever be able to do that. I feel like that is a very much a lost yeah. Lost art, but a lost they were, you know, the people of Gambon's generation, and I don't know how close to my generation it comes, but they were taught differently. They were they grew up in a repertory system where Shakespeare was at their fingertips, mm. you know, quotes of plays, being able to recite things off of memory, just well, we just saw that. Um it. did you see the viral
0: clip of Dame Judi Dench on the Graham yes. Norton show? Yeah. And yeah, she's exactly. just like, Yes, I'll give you a sonnet, and yeah, I'm like exactly
1: wow yeah no i mean and there are there are you know if you go watch old parky interviews with richard burton and um you know i've worked with Melda staunton and derek Jacobi and they're all they're, they're incredible they are incredible i you can't know, talk
0: about Melda staunton right now i'm still getting over the crown sure
1: sure sure, sure, sure.
0: which by the time this comes out the, the whole thing's done
1: Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Oh God,
0: I'm so excited! I'm taking that day off whenever that I comes I know. I
1: I was. I'm kind of like. I, I. feel, um, quite privileged that I was in. I mm. got to be a couple of episodes. Just. It's like you know. You, you look back. And you, I will look back on my career and go, "Hey, I got to be part of that." You know, little, which was was not an, a small thing. You know, it's one of the very few things mm. relatives in Sri Lanka have seen me in. <laughs> yeah. uh, they'll go, "Oh my God, you're in the crowd! Fantastic! Oh, yeah, great!" It's know, so um, good. Yeah, loved
0: it. I've I've never wanted to bow more to somebody than I've wanted to bow to Elizabeth Debicki. Oh yeah, yeah, that's I mean, mental.
1: I mean, that the I mean, especially the, I I think like the first three or four seasons, but like the first like the, the characterizations were unbelievable. I thought they were across the board, but really, really, really brilliant, really mm-hmm. brilliant. And you know, me personally, I got to work with. Gillian Anderson and Olivia Colman. That's not bad, is it? No. That's that's not a bad day at work. No. It's really not. But I do
0: have to ask, on the topic of Olivia Colman, who's your favourite queen?
1: Who's my favourite queen? I think, well, it's got to be Olivia Colman, but that's also because I know her a little bit. We did a play together years Mm. ago at the National, and she's remained um, a friend. She's just... I think she's one of the best actresses around, um, but she's also because she's a friend, she gets stopped billing, but she's also one of the very nicest people in the world. She is exactly... Actually, Imelda Staunton and I know a little bit as well, and she's very similar. They are exactly as they seem, which is... Yeah, I want Olivia Colman to be an arsehole. I mean, honestly, she's just not... She's just the nicest person in the world. She really, 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 really is. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, Olivia Coleman is, is just beautiful inside and out. And... Emelda, they're both they're both sinfully funny as well. Imelda Staunton is naughty. Mm.
0: I do have really... to go against the grain and say that my favourite queen is Claire Foy.
1: Yeah, Claire Foy. Well, her performance is absolutely stunning. Mm. Absolutely. I think they're stunning. all great. By the way,
0: I don't want to be like.
1: Do you know the other thing is is though is that because I think I think Olivia and Emelda um, uh, are at a slightly obviously at a disadvantage because. Their characters are in our, my living memory.
0: Yeah.
1: Claire Foy's absolutely wasn't. Claire Foy's Queen comes from a time that even me being a very old man with the white of my beard that I have, mm-hmm. I don't remember that queen. And and so slightly do you know what I mean? There, there's some not there's something that's like there might be something slightly, slightly romanticized about that time period yeah. in, uh, in our in, in our minds. Um and Things that are in living in living memory are much harder to portray, I think, as fiction mm. on 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 a, on a TV mm. screen or any screen or in a yeah. play, um, because people remember yeah. the actual events and the actual times. It becomes much harder. But no, I agree with you that Claire Foy's performance in that as that character Stunning. is absolutely phenomenal, and her and Matt Smith together, oh. uh, in Vanessa tragedy. Kirby, oh, Vanessa Kirby, oh, the... oh, 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 yeah. Oh. Absolutely. It yeah. makes me
0: feel sick, but to make oh. everyone feel um, slightly old, um, none of this has been in my living memory so far because I was born the year after Diana died.
1: Oh, you make me sick. Um... So, like,
0: even up until series six, all this <laughs> happened before I was born. Wow. Yes. Yeah, like I would. Was... Diana died in what the September, and I was born in the April.
1: Oh my goodness. Wow.
0: A little nineteen ninety eight baby.
1: Oh my god, yes, you know, I was I was like I was sixteen, seventeen years old when Diana died. No, I was, older than that. I was eighteen, eighteen, nineteen years old.
0: So you were legally allowed to drink before I was born.
1: Yes, thank you for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> yes. I did quite a few th- quite a few other things before you were born
0: too. I, old
1: I could indeed be your father, let's not go there, shall we? What
0: was the biggest lesson you learned while you were at Guildhall? Because I I'd done it successfully once and I've done it not so successfully once. And I learned both times so many lessons about myself, about the world, about the industry. What was your biggest lesson that you learned?
1: The biggest one is probably the most fundamental one to me. And that was, again, it's different for everyone, but the most fundamental lesson I had to learn for myself was to see all of myself and to actually Mm. cherish and express all of myself. I had lived... You know, I I went to drama school after uni. I went 2000 to 2003. So I was 22 till about 25. And I still at 22, you know, and even through through Guildhall as well, um, I was trying to be the nice guy, the funny guy, the nice guy. That's how I'd lived my entire life. And it was denying what, the the whole entirety of what is me and my teach one of my teach well Wendy who I described earlier mm. has definitely set me on the path to start seeing all of me and cherishing all of me and stop being afraid of being angry or loud or violent or tall and big which I am um, in my work certainly not yeah you know, personally um, no and sorry not per- personally you know but um, to be able to use and see all of me. And it, it's a weird one. My acting training, I think, has stood hand in hand with my kind of education as a human being. And the better actor I am, the better human being I am. The better human being I am, the better actor I am. And it's gone like that. But it started with that. It started with yeah. It started. With, let me. I'll, I'll tell you the story around it. If is that right? Or is it, it yeah. It might be a bit long. Um, we were doing. We were doing. Um, uh, Chekhov's in the first year, of the first year. The teacher that was in, the boot of the Seagull, our half, half year mm. would do the Seagull. It's an 11 weeks project. Oh, Jesus Chekhov for 11 weeks. I'd kill myself. Exactly. But, um, but, but, so he started, our, our director started doing various things that had nothing to do with the play. There were lots of physical improvisations for the first mm. three weeks or so. And I, who had been doing quite well at drama school, according to my teachers and all that kind of stuff, I suddenly got very scared. I'm a big guy. I'm a heavy guy. I've never been comfortable with my body or with sexuality. And so there was a lot of sexual improv and, you know, all this kind of stuff going. And I basically hid at the back of the room uh, for three weeks. I was not contributing in a way that I hadn't done for the whole first year. And I started to get worried worried about it. And we had three teachers on staff who did these things called drop-ins which were if you had anything you wanted to discuss at so uh, any time, you could drop into one of these three tutors and have a drop in and just talk about it. It wasn't therapy, but it was, you know, if you wanted to talk something through, you could. go. You know. And so I went to her, Wendy and I told her this situation and she was like, remember she was, she was, she was, you know, um, doing something on her desk. Mm. It's almost like she wasn't listening to me and I was chatting, chatting. Right? I stopped, she went, are you finished? And I went, yes. And she went, okay, Tony, everyone knows you're a nice guy. Everyone loves you. It's time for you to be a cunt. Fair play. It's time. And you won't turn into what you are afraid to turn into. It's time. Okay, you got that? Off you go. And I walked out of the room. You know, as ever with a lot of this stuff, you don't know what it means or where it's going. But... I remember doing an improv. Not it wasn't a physical improv, but that one it changed the, like a couple of days after, and it and it left the 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 room stunned, and there were applause and all that kind of stuff. And it was like it was just this little moment where I just went, I haven't been seeing the full picture mm. at all, and I haven't been trusting myself, and I haven't learned everything about myself. And I haven't in remotely touched some of the most interesting parts of who I am, and some yeah. of the most vital bits to use as an actor. Some mm. of those interesting things. Um, but that started me on my journey. That was my first like footstep on the journey to genuinely standing, I think, as a 360-degree human being. Mm. Um, and I'll always be grateful for that. that so from that stems everything else, you know? Yeah. In terms of being able to stand solidly as a human being, all things come from being able to see yourself clearly and truthfully and appreciating the value of all of your humanity, whether it's ugly or beautiful, pleasant or not, there's value in every inch of your humanity. You, I think, do yourself the biggest disservice by not being able to see and appreciate all of it. Hmm. It
0: happened oppositely for me. My tutors told me I'd been a cunt for too long and it was oh. time for me to be a nice guy. Oh, how <laughs>
1: delightful. That, what, what was that like
0: to hear? It was fun. I was like, oh, so you're, you, it's working. Oh wow, like, no, I I'd, I'd only got told to be a, not be a twat once, and it was just when I was a bit ill. and I was I sure. just had a bit of an attitude. A fun question that I love to ask everybody that comes on is if a casting director came to you tomorrow and said, Listen, I want to do a two hander with you in the West End, but I don't know who I want to put you with, and you can pick anyone in the world, but they have to be alive, who are you picking to be your co star?
1: Mm-hmm. So many. I mean, there the, is the, the difficulty is, I'm I'm going to just stick with people I haven't worked with before. Yeah, It's the the then it's just about their personality. I don't know how good mm-hmm. they are to work with or not. But um, we were in the same film a couple of times, but we never worked together. Miriam Margulies. Come on, how much fun do you think doing a two hander with Miriam Margulies would be? I don't I, think you'd get any work done. I mean, honestly. But that would be it. We could make it different every single night.
0: Yeah, it
1: could just be chatting with Miriam, and it would be hilarious every single night. I I
0: genuinely like. It was the other day she was doing, a, she didn't grab not, I think, um, and she's just yes. like, I was on the cover of Vogue. They only asked me because I'm a insert the D yes. word here, yes. and yes. everyone just lost their shit. And I was like, I love you so much, Miriam. I,
1: my first ever movie. Was with her, like I said, we didn't have any scenes together, but she was in the same movie. So my first ever job was a movie called Chasing Liberty mm. uh, about uh, the president's daughter, and it was starring Mandy Moore um, as the president's daughter. But we had a read through, and she she arrived late. And went, "Hello, hello, the Greek little Greek lesbian is here. It's fine. We can get started now. Get started now." And she read, and she made all the producers stand up. She went, Who are the producers? Stand up, right? You're all responsible for this, aren't you? All of you. Everyone take a look. Right, sit down, let's go And <laughs> we, uh, we did the read through. And then she w- was looking through, I think, the cast list and she saw my name, Jaya Waldener. And she went, Who is who is Tony Jaya Waldener? Who is that? Who is that? And I went, That that, that that's me, Ms. Margolis. That, that that's me. And she went, excellent name. Sri Lanka name. Proud name. Sri Lankan name, very proud name. Don't you ever change it. Don't you ever change it. Very good. Away you go. And I obviously never did. And I, I did have teachers and some people suggesting that I should change my name. And I never did. Mm. About a decade later, I was doing another tiny role. Another tiny role in a movie called The Wedding Video. I think it's mm. called with Rufus Hound or something. And I think Miriam and Harriet Walters were together in some bit. And I saw her in her just outside a trailer. And I thought, do you know what? What she said to me meant a lot to me. I must just go and say thank you. She won't remember who I am. And I went up to her and I went, hi, Miss Margulies, Uh, I know you won't remember, but in my first ever job, you were there at the read-through. And she went, Jaya Warden, she remembered my name. I love people like that. I mean, give her all all the crowns and all the chocolates and all the bouquets, please. Mm. Plus also, she was the voice, another thing you won't remember, she was the voice of the Caramel Bunny which is absolutely insane for people of my generation because it was one of the sexiest cartoon bunnies on the face of the planet.
0: But she's like one of the sexiest women on the face of the planet, I'm not going to lie. She is. is. Other than when she just pulls an onion out and eats it like an apple. Sure, that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. But but she's also sexy
0: in her ridiculousness. 100%. My my two-hander, and I don't know why this... It always throws people off when I say the name that I say. And I don't understand why, because I think she's a, a the- theatrical goddess. It's yeah. Catherine Tate. Oh, okay, lovely. But yeah. people sometimes go, what do you mean, Catherine Tate? And I'm like, have you seen Much Ado About Nothing with David Tennant? No, sure, absolutely.
1: Yeah, 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 no, I get that. I get that. That's, that sounds like a great idea.
0: And again, in a very similar vein to Miriam, I feel yeah. like we just have a great time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. she's 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 extraordinary, extraordinary actress, is uh, Catherine mm-hmm. Tate. I mean, be remarkable. No, I love her. Um, I I do want to talk to you about um your time on Ackley Bridge, though, because sure. I think it was it was a really like sort of sensational TV that. Uh, it, uh, oh, let me rephrase that. It was a really sensational television program that, at the time, I remember when it was being announced. Everyone was like, oh, "What new road?" They're just going to try and be Waterloo Road, but yeah. it brought all of this inclusion and all of this stuff that we had yeah. never seen on television. Like we had never seen members of the Islamic faith talk back to far right extremists. Yeah, and it was such a sensational telly program. I loved it. Don't get me wrong; the last series was a bit meh. Sure, and I'll say that. Um, I'll take that on the chin. Um, sure. but what was it like being part of this like massive television program that was just being hailed for its sort of inclusion and diversity and all that? It was one of those
1: things. It was, it, it was all those things, but it also, it was in, it was in the midst of a, a world that had a lot of noise. So it didn't, yeah. it didn't feel like it made as big an impact as it could have done. It could have been championed maybe a bit more. Yeah. Now, I, I came in after the, I watched the first season and then I came in on the second season. I thought the first season was extraordinary. Perfection. Genuinely extraordinary, I thought. And Ayu Khan Din was the head writer and one of the creators, and he wrote Easter's East, which is one of, you know, mine and many other people's favorites um, in terms of plays and movies. And I just got to play the dad in Easter's East a couple of years ago, which mm. was a dream of mine come true. But he brings, you know, a lot of credibility and a lot of, um you know, the ideas and stuff, I think, and a lot of the courage around a lot of those storylines comes from his direction. He grew yeah. up in a family, you know, where they were dealing with LGBTQ plus issues. They were, you know, dealing with race issues. They were dealing with religion. And so a lot of that comes through. And I thought, People at the Forge were courageous in doing it and the cast were extraordinary, actually. They cast it brilliantly. Mm-hmm. I, again, was very lucky. I think um, Penny, one of the, again, originators and uh, producers, Woolbridge, I think, she she was championing me in that second season. Uh, I think they wanted, I don't know if, if they wanted someone specifically different, but I'm not sure they wanted the, me, particularly the rest of the people, but Penny championed me and I got the role and I got to be cast for the first time ever in my acting career as a love interest amazing mm. uh, to Senetra Sarka, who is wonderful
0: another and one of cool. those people that just make me feel ill
1: she's she's she's, she's absolutely fantastic and just mm. um, but but when you're doing it i think we i think we just, we had a lot of fun we had it was a, it wasn't um we we never had enough time to do everything we wanted to do so it was always quite high pressure um, in terms of that, but I don't think we put the issues it was kind of like it wasn't it, it wasn't about kind of activism it was mm. about just telling the story it's about doing that. But justice. that's the biggest kind of activism. Exactly exactly, when you do it to kind of make a point it stops making the point Yeah. you do it just to tell the story it makes the point point. Mm-hmm. and because it wasn't just like what you would maybe say as massive, massive issues of, um, you know like you like you were describing, um, it was shouting back to far right people or anything. There were things like you know um, dyspraxia. My when I first started to realise was that one of Snape's daughters had dyspraxia, and I had tweets from people who were going, "I've never seen dyspraxia on television. Oh yeah. my god, it's so great." But the biggest thing for me, and the biggest sadness for me in the in the show being stopped, is the amount of. People from the LGBT plus community, especially youngsters in the North who got in touch and went, this is our show. Mm. This belongs to us. And now that it's gone, what is there that shows us? And that made me feel really, really sad when when it got cancelled because you just went, oh crap, that was speaking to a very specific uh, group of um, you know, you want to speak to the youngsters, you want to give them hope, you want to reflect their issues and tell them, You sl- allow them to see themselves on the screen. Mm. It's what is very difficult to describe to people who take issue with these things. But you know when The Little Mermaid came out and everyone had issues with the fact that it was a black actress and she had like black hair. And then there were all these videos of young... Because
0: mermaids little... have to be white.
1: Right? Looking at her going, mommy, it's me on screen. People who have been represented on screen, it's very difficult to explain to them the impact, what it's of like seeing, to be seen. It's what it's like to be seen. Mm. You suddenly go, "Oh my god, that is me!" I,
0: and I just don't understand, like especially seeing these videos of kids reacting to the Little Mermaid. Yeah, I'm just like, why would you want to take that away from anyone? Because at the end of the day, it's a fucking mermaid.
1: Yeah, and I don't think I don't think a lot. The, I think a lot of those people that like complain about it aren't actually complaining about it.
0: No, they're just racist.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're just, you know, the world is is getting too big and I understand that there's fear and there's anger around that. But honestly, look at the joy and the, there, there is something indescribable mm. about being seen. There is something unbelievably, you know, it, it gives me faith in humanity, which often is lost. But But when you see examples of kids, especially feeling like they're being seen, Mm. it is empowering beyond belief and it is slightly indescribable how good that world, that world is and that's yeah. another part of what makes me do what I do to mm. be able to make someone feel something like that, to be part of a show that does that mm-hmm. makes, you know, my little dress up and memory memorising lines thing all the worthwhile because mm. it's rather extraordinary. Um, we're going to play a game now. This game is my favourite
0: thing in the world. It's called Stage Right or Stage Shite. And it's three stories. Two of them are the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth and have been submitted by listeners. And mm. one of them is a big fat lie that's been made up by our producer, Heather. I've got the answer in a sealed envelope so I can play along with you. We have Love to find it. which one's the lie. These are my oh, favourite things yes. in the world. Number one, my lecturer set as a week-long assignment and I was assigned to improvise all week as phil mitchell number two my girlfriend broke up with me right before we were performing romeo and juliet she was really horrible to me i was her romeo but really lovely to our friar lawrence she even improvised a full-on snog with him and that's how i found out my girlfriend had been cheating on me number three i pretended to be scouse and working class for three years in drama school i grew up in mayfair
1: these are all believable um, I think um, drama schools would think themselves above EastEnders, therefore would not get someone to be Phil Mitchell for a week mm. uh, because drama schools can often be a bit hoity-toity. So if they were going to get them to be someone, it would be somebody other than a character. Of
0: yeah, Hyacinth Bouquet, something like
1: that. Some, who knows? But yeah, um, I, the one that's ringing true... Because it sounds like something that would totally happen is the Romeo and Juliet one. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's true. true. Mm.
0: Do you it know? Is- I think I'm going to go for number one as the lie, the Phil Mitchell one.
1: Yeah, I think I think I think that's the lie.
0: I think that's yeah, the lie. because I can imagine. Although I would love to be there at the moment that they were like, "Guys, I'm not actually from Liverpool. Uh, I, I grew up in Mayfair."
1: Yeah, I'm not sure they uh I, I think that person never I don't think
0: they ever admitted it. Oh no, hundred percent. It's it's like Lawrence Llewellyn's bone or something like that. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah. They're still they're still and carrying like all on. Their, the all line. their
1: drama schoolmates going, oh. <laughs> Why are they pretending to be old on team? What
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was number one. We were right. We were right. So um the the Phil Mitchell one, Jesus Christ, imagine. I think the okay. longest that we were ever given anything like that was like an afternoon.
1: Yeah, we had we had a few we had a few afternoons. We we did mm. like we see like, we had mask projects and stuff where we had a character that evolved from us wearing a particular mask that lasted more than one day, but it wasn't like continuous. But yeah. no, we never had to improvise as Phil Mitchell. For no,
0: like we'd come in rest. after lunch and they'd be like, right, you've been preparing this for the next yeah. hour. We're gonna like one that we did. We always had like group sort of like. Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, like Brilliant. that style, sitting around Brilliant. in a circle. The lecturer would like talk to us all. We sure. didn't prof. But like you were mentioning about being the colour blue once for an afternoon, I was a hand mixer. Nice,
1: nice. We were hey, kitchen appliances for an afternoon. I got into Guildhall. I remember, but again, Wendy was our movement teacher, so she remembers this from my audition. In my audition, I had to be a sparkler. And my Fun. sparkler, my you know... By Sparkler was one of the things that um, got me into drama school. That's how ridiculous it is, what we do. And then everyone struggles for a job. There you
0: go. Um, We have have a closing tradition on the podcast where I asked the previous guest to leave a question for the current guest and myself, I answer as well. Um, But they don't know who they're asking and you won't know who you're asking. But the question that has been left for you today is, if you could revive one show that's been closed, what would you revive?
1: And it doesn't matter whether I was in it or no
0: it you, anything. And yeah. I thought this was actually quite a tricky question. But then when I thought yeah. of my answer, I was like, oh, of course, that's it.
1: There was a production called uh Lions and Tigers um mm. that I did at the San Wanamaker Playhouse and the Globe. Mm. Um in kind of 2017, written by Tanika Gupta and directed by Pooja Guy. Um and it was about Tanika Gupta's granduncle who had been part of a freedom fighter in India, trying to gain independence from the British. And it was a spectacular story. And in that particular tiny space, the Southwark Playhouse is absolutely minute and people are right there. You know, the audience are within touch distance, And it was one of the most remarkable shows, one of the most remarkable experiences I've ever had on the stage. And I think they will bring that back at some point, but obviously that particular production, they probably won't being mm. that production but um but yeah that was that's that's what I'd like to bring back mine yes. I know it's
0: coming back it is gonna come back because it was too good to not come back they'd done two residencies at the Tron in Glasgow this year and then they went on tour in Scotland to play called moorcroft by Ailey Lone and it's oh, set yeah. in this sort of like a football team but it's yeah. not about football. Like I couldn't care less about football. It's not right. my thing. But it's all about like men's mental health, about how um, how these kids because they're all nineteen grow up together, and there's like it's set in I think I think it's the eighties in Glasgow, yeah. and there was obviously like a lot of racism and segregation, and Glasgow's still quite rife with like Protestant and Catholic that divide. Yeah, and it's such a good play. I've been to see it twice. I'll be buying all of the tickets to see it again um and it will come back. I know it will it's too good to not, but I'd love to like stick it in the West End or give it like a permanent residency somewhere
1: yeah I mean like I mean I'll keep an I'll keep an eye out for that as well there are so many I've been part of shows and I've seen shows where you go, I want the world to be able to see this show, you know and uh, because people are writing stories that are important but yeah. not enough people are getting to see them a lot of the time no a hundred percent and and um, that's, that's that's kind of an eternal conundrum with theatre as well and that which, was like uh, their sort
0: of MO they didn't want regular they did want regular theatre goes to go but their like mission was to get people who don't go to the theatre to go and wow. they like massively successfully done that they were doing fiver tickets yeah. like on a national national really? theatre of scotland tour and they made it so accessible and it's i just think it's a really important story um you can buy the play script online everyone this is not sponsored i just genuinely think it's great and some of my friends were in it so give them a no. job while they're at it do you know what i mean
1: yeah wonderful
0: and if Ailey, if you're coming back, I, I, I'll be in it. I'll do it for free. I'll do it for free. Um, what question would you like to leave for the next guest? Doesn't have to be about acting, can literally be about anything you want. What's coming up next for you? Where can
1: people come see you? What are we doing over Christmas or in the new year? I am at this moment. Um, on, Well, actually, Monday is our last one. Um, I'm in a musical workshop that is being kind of performed at the Vaudeville Theatre called Billy the Kid, the musical, um, and we're on the stage of six, the musical, but mm. they're dark on the Mondays. So we've done the last two Mondays. We've got one more Monday coming up on uh, on this Monday, coming up, and, uh, oh, so that's not going to be...
0: Yeah, that's done.
1: Done. No, I've done that. Still interesting Fine. to hear about. But what's coming up for me, um, which I'm more excited about than I have been about a role in quite some time. I'm going back to the National theater i mm. I'm going to be in a play called Nye, N-Y-E, which is going to be about the MP, Anirin Bevin, who set up the NHS and? Uh, in the kind of uh, 40s and 50s, like the early 50s. Um, Iron Bevin is going to be played by Michael Sheen um, and Rufus Norris, who runs the National, is going to direct it. It's going to, I think, I think be his last production there as AD. Um, uh-huh. it's, and basically, an Iron Bevan was a Welsh MP that's tracking his whole life from when he was a kid to when he dies. And I'm playing, first of all, I'm playing a doctor. Congratulations, dad.
0: Yeah, finally
1: got it. I finally got it. I'm playing a Dr. Dane, who was his doctor as he, at the top and the yeah. end, starting the end of the play, because he's dying of cancer. That's what he dies of. But in the middle of the play, I'm also playing, I'm getting to play Winston Churchill um, on the Olivier stage opposite Michael Sheen, and he has a couple of really stonking scenes um, because Woodson Churchill and Iron Bevan did not get on one little bit. So I, I just am just
0: down. Sorry. I'm going to try and get tickets because I am coming to London yeah. in January because one of my friends is, oh, fuck, is it Hamlet or Othello? Which one? It's doing one of the two at Shakespeare's Club. Okay. Um, okay and you see, um, well, if he's not a black man, it's probably Hamlet. No, he, I I don't think he's playing the lead. Oh, he's just in the play, um, and it's either Hamlet or Othello. The
1: um, the uh, the the play won't be showing till March. That's not rehearsal time.
0: Oh. All right, okay, well I, I'll come in March. March
1: April, May, and then we're taking it to Cardiff actually as well Fun. at the end of May for two weeks because Michael Sheen has basically, I think, organised that to take it to the Millennium Centre in Cardiff. Which will be I'm going to try
0: and get tickets. I've just wrote that down. It sounds great. Well, let me know if you're coming. I'll meet you for a drink. hundred percent. But where me. can everyone follow you on social media to keep up to date with what you're
1: doing? Oh, yeah, I, I do do that. Um, I am <laughs> um, on, on, on X, formerly Twitter. I am, I've am. Uh, i been
0: saying I'm leaving that for a year, and I think so I'm getting I. very close to idea. it now.
1: I'm at J 78 I hmm. think. And then on Instagram... I am at Tony Joy Order, mm. um, where you can. Which I only started. I've had the account for like ten years, and I haven't used it until I think the beginning of this year. And there are lots of photos of my lovely cat. I'm trying to get better at social
0: media so um come along and follow me as well if you're listening just at Ingram Noble um, but mainly if you're listening to this I just want you to do one thing you've got to listen to all of this for free but please go down into the show notes and leave us a rating and a review because it makes the podcast so much better it recommends us to other listeners and just helps us grow so please please if you don't do anything else today after you followed Tony please leave us a rating and a review Um, but genuinely thank you so much for coming on and doing this it's been such a pleasure to chat to you. If you ever find yourself in Glasgow, please feel free to hit me up. First round of drinks are on me.
1: I do come to Glasgow. I've got two friends who just, two of my best friends in the world just moved to Glasgow. Fun.
0: It's a great city.
1: Yeah,
0: it's lovely. I genuinely think it's the best
1: city in the world. Fantastic.
0: I get get some pushback on that, but that's one argument I
1: will fight. You fight it till you fight it till you're dropping. (laughs) all
0: done. Um, But have a lovely rest of your day. I'll let you get going. Thank you, my love. And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Drop Hour, episode 171 completed. Thank you so much to Tony for coming on the podcast, and make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find down in the show notes below. And if you're enjoying the podcast, why not tell someone about it? Leaving us a rating and a review on the show will recommend us to other listeners and help the podcast grow, and it means the absolute world, so please, please do that. We've got one week left until I break up for my Christmas break, so please make sure to go back into our back catalogue, join the 171 episodes that we've now got available for you to listen to and don't forget if you've got a story for stage right or stage right you can email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com to submit your story or go down into the show notes and click the link to the google form to submit your story completely anonymously like i said we've got one more episode left for 2020 what a mad year it's been I'm so grateful for you all but I'll be back again next Tuesday with the final brand spanking new episode of the year but until then have a great week stay safe, I love you. Drama School trooper. No graduation day for you Drama School trooper. Your whole course now try something
1: new as the flow.